Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. He weighs both sides of the story and chooses what's right over what's wrong. More Roy Green on the Chorus Radio Network. Next hour, have you had difficulty with your bills, electricity bills, uh, because of Kathleen Wynne in Ontario and uh, the carbon tax in Alberta? We'll take your calls and play back a couple of calls from last weekend. They were disturbing phone calls. Uh, As ISIS loses territory in Syria and Iraq, ditto al-Qaeda in some of its strongholds. question that's been asked is, will terror attacks on so-called soft targets in the West, increase. You know, we've seen Berlin, we've seen Fort Lauderdale, although that was an airport and normally, I guess, wouldn't be considered a soft target, but we've seen it. We've seen Nice. Um, we're going to talk to former the former commanding officer of Canada's National Counterterrorism Force, JTF2, Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, retired, now president of Reticle, a premium niche security solutions company. Colonel Day, good to speak with you again, and thank you for taking the time. And uh, who is who's really the major concern when it comes to terror attacks on Western nations at this juncture in the war with Al Qaeda, ISIS, and other groups who may be well less known to the public? And as ISIS has geographically diminished in Syria and Iraq, will a corresponding increase in Berlin, Fort Lauderdale, and Jerusalem types of attacks be inevitable? Well, good afternoon, Roy, and Happy New Year to yourself and your listeners. Um, yeah, it's uh, obviously 2016 in particular was a very, very difficult year on, on many levels. But to to answer your question um, directly, as ISIS kind of yeah starts to collapse in amongst itself, and that that bright flame that was burning in in, in you know as they like to call the caliphate, as that starts to get extinguished, we are going to see some of these. Um, non-state actors looking for other avenues to express their dissatisfaction with, you know, Western life. So I don't know whether that will actually uh, turn into direct attacks against us here in Canada or the U.S., but certainly uh, Europe is at a greater risk just due to the fact that they've got a much larger um, population that's disaffected and just uh, removed from any really chance of pr- prospering in the Western, the Western pro- uh, construct. You know, when you when you consider this sort of activity, the uh, the attacks on the soft targets, the uh, the terrorists acting within the national borders of Western countries, it's a new front in the war on terror, which will have opened. And you can't respond with an F-16 from the sky, I would think, or engaging armor. Uh, that would alarm populations and maybe create the impression terror groups are operating in numbers in our backyards. How realistic is that? Well, no, it's, it's absolutely realistic. And and these terror groups have been operating in our backyards for many years, and, and if not decades. You only need to go back to the late 60s and 70s and deal with the FLQ, in particular here in Canada and Quebec. So those, those, um, those agencies, those, those uh, actors are, are here today. There's no doubt in my mind that they are operating in Canada. The intelligence agencies and law enforcement have a pretty good idea where they are and what they're up to. The challenge we have is these lone wolf attacks that are inspired by social media or what they're seeing on the news, etc. That's really where the biggest uh, security challenge is for the individual Canadian. 
Colonel Day, how can the roles of military and police be most effectively combined? And are our combined national and international forces working together cooperatively now? They are working together um, very well. If you look at a pre-9-11 construct to a post-9-11, and then even coming through the late knot, uh, in Canada in particular, we've, we've upped our game significantly. That does not mean we're all the way there yet, because there are still silos. And those silos, quite honestly, are created because the, the national security and national defense agencies are not resourced to the appropriate level in this country to do everything that we're asking them to uh, do. Now, we, don't, we, you know, we as a, uh, individual Canadians need to make the decision on how much money do we want our, our uh, politicians to devote to our national security. And right now, I'll tell you, it is under-resourced. And because it's under-resourced, it is sub-optimized in information sharing and, in some cases, joint training. So I was actually going to ask you whether governments are moving sufficiently rapidly to identify, engage, and remove as threats individuals or groups who are radicalizing by online messaging from IS and AQ, or do politicians care more about voting blocks and therefore hobble military and police uh, doing their jobs properly? Well, it's not so much that they, they hobble them, but they, again, as they say, it's not resource to the level. So we also have this constant tension between public safety and national security and our freedoms, liberties, and prosperities that we all want to pursue in, in this great nation called Canada. So you're always going to have this tension between how much security and public safety do you need and how much freedom of, of the press, for example, freedom of online uh, information sharing. And it's a difficult, difficult uh, balancing act to achieve that. So we have an idea, and I think a very good idea of where the problem is. The question is, how do you resolve that complex situation where do we want to move into a paradigm where it's preventative arrest? In some cases, I think we should be doing that, but now we need to have a real hard look and long look about what does a preventative detainment or arrest look like. Let me take it right into, uh, into the family home, Colonel Day. What should people be preparing themselves for, or at least understand may happen at any time? I don't want to frighten people, but there are families with kids, and they say, what do we do? What can we do to, to look out for ourselves? Well, as, a, as an individual Canadian, I think a couple of things that would be useful is, is Gwyn Dwyer last year wrote a book called Don't Panic. And it's, uh, it's actually a very interesting read, fairly easy read, on his assessment of ISIS and terror in today's Middle East and how it spills over into North American camps. So as a Canadian, I think educating themselves on, on the threat, keeping that threat in perspective, and then looking about, as they're going about their daily lives, being aware of what's going on around them. Because whether it's simple workplace violence, or being in a soft target like you had mentioned, um, it's, it's highly unlikely it's going to happen to a Canadian, but when it happens, it would be awfully nice to be prepared and uh, have maybe a little bit of training and some courses on how to deal with an active assailant, for example. I have less than a minute. Uh, I was talking to somebody who's involved in security uh, the other day, and they mentioned uh, prison inmates exposed to daily encouragement to fight for jihad. Is, is that a factor? It, it is a factor, but again, more so in Europe than in North America. Like Europe has got a systemic, significant challenge with an extremely large, uh, um, you know, not to paint any, any communities with a brush, but a Muslim-based ideological uh, Islamic fringe elements that, um, that are fueling a lot of this problem. So Europe's got a significant challenge. North America, we've got challenges, but quite honestly, our challenges are more in the, the copycat, lone actor, 
uh, mentally disabled, uh, you know, dis- uh, unstable individual than, than necessarily prisons uh, inciting violence in this jihadi kind of mentality. Yeah. But as you've said to us before, this is not uh, going to be over quickly. This is going to be a multi-decade struggle that's going to take uh, take its time to, uh, to be resolved. Colonel Day, thank you so much, and uh, all the best in 2017 to you. Yeah, same right back at you, Roy, and again, to your listeners, all the best for 2017. Thanks, Colonel Day. Colonel Steve Day, the former commanding officer of JTF2 Joint Task Force 2, Canada's National Counterterrorism Force, Special Forces Unit. And interestingly, uh, JTF2 is the only Special Forces Unit that has the, internationally, that has the mandate to operate domestically and internationally. We'll come back in a minute.